In two weeks, uh, we're gonna celebrate baptismal remembrances and we'll be talking about baptism and that aspect. So, so it'll be in a couple of weeks, but today we're gonna talk about that second aspect, the teaching aspect and how crucial it is that teaching take place within the church of God and why is that crucial for disciples? And appropriately so, the reason we're talking about that today is this past week was National Lutheran Schools Week and you see up there that National Lutheran School Week had a theme and the theme was Real Present God. And each day had a different theme. So real grace, real places, real people, real time, real praise. I think over this past week, they also learned about real snowy and real cold, right? And so I think we actually had National Lutheran School days because there were just two of them, right? Because of so much snow and cold. And, uh, and yet uh, we are reminded that what takes place during National Lutheran Schools Week isn't just a week but it's a year-long thing that we do in our school. And we're gonna talk about how essential that is, not just in our Lutheran school, but in all areas that this teaching take place. But let's start with the word of prayer, we pray. Heavenly Father, we pray today that you would teach us, that we would take on this morning the posture of a learner so that we could hear from you, so that in humility and faithfulness, you might instill in us a deeper, more rooted faith in who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, remind us of your promises this day and help us to desire more of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you hungry for? That is a question I think I asked way too many times on the way down to and back from Florida. Because I would constantly hear from my children in the back seat, how much longer till we stop? Can we get food from the gas station? When is lunch? When is dinner? What do we have in the car to snack on? And so my response would always be, well, what are you hungry for? To which their response would be, anything. We just want something. So then I would say something like this. Well, all right, let's stop, stop at Taco Bell. Oh, I don't feel like Mexican. All right. Oh, how about KFC? No, I don't really want Kentucky Fried Chicken. I don't really feel like chicken. So what do you want? I don't care, just pick something. I did. <laughs> you, know, you know someone like that? Don't nudge the person next to you, okay? Just don't do that. But, but you, know, you know someone like that where you're like, like, what do you want? And they're like, it doesn't matter. And then you give them options and then they don't want any of them, right? Our appetites kind of change like that sometimes, don't they? In fact, if you think about it, appetites change over time. And not just day to day, but year to year and decade after decade. If you think about infants, they have a very simple appetite, don't they? Very simple. In fact, there are days where as a parent, I yearn for the days where all it took was that, right? Like, like you don't have to make choices, like just get the bottle, right? And so they start off with, with that milk and then as you feed them, the more you feed them, the more they grow. And so as they grow, they transition to something like that. I don't know how many of you have been to baby showers and done those, test those testing, but I don't know how any baby likes that. <laughs> that is terrible. Do you know what's even worse than that? It's the next stage, which I couldn't find a picture of, where they actually have these things in jars and it's like, this is spaghetti, and then your child doesn't want to eat it, and you understand why they don't want to eat it, because in order for you to get them to eat it, you actually have to eat it, right? So you're like, it's great, no it's not, but eat it, right? 
And then you just feed them. And then the more they eat that, then they finally transition to something like that. Right? And there is this vicious cycle with children that you come to learn that the more you feed them, the more they grow. And the more they grow, the more you have to feed them. Until all of a sudden they're eating you out of house and home. And you're like, I might as well get a second job just to pay the grocery bill. Right? I'm hungry. Just doesn't extend to food though, does it? You and I have an appetite for so many things in life. For some of you, that appetite uh, may be for things in your workplace, promotions and raises and titles and job opportunities. For some of you, that appetite goes into your possessions and you want a nicer house and a bigger house and a better yard and a nicer car and a bigger car and a better car. For some of you, it extends into your friendships and your relationships. For some of you, it's some area of satisfaction in your life. But, but we have appetites that seem to consume us all the time. So what I want to ask you today is, is, what are you hungry for? What are you consuming on an everyday basis? And what is that turning you into? How is your appetite changing you and growing you into the person that you are today and the person that you will be a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now? The writer of the author of, of Hebrews talks about this idea of, of consuming and consuming the right things on the maturity. And we're gonna take a look at that this morning. So if you would open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter five, starting in verse 11, you can find it in the Bible in front of you on page 1003. But if you brought your Bible from home, we always encourage you, bring your Bible from home so you can highlight in it, write in it, so you can take notes in it. Um, just what is God teaching you during these times together? Otherwise, you can open up a Bible app or, or anything like that. But we want you in the Word of God. I'm gonna put it on the screen, but I always believe that to have it in front of you, there's just something special about having it opened up in front of you. Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11. The context of this is, as the writer of Hebrews is speaking, he's speaking just previous to this about Jesus and obedience and reverence to Jesus, who is our greater high priest. So as he's talking about what it means to, to follow Jesus in obedience and reverence, he gets this section which serves as a warning and as an encouragement to those who call themselves disciples of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11, he says, About this we have much to say, but it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. He's saying you have become deaf. You have toned me out. You have toned the word of God out. And we understand that because there are things that you and I, we tune out. Or if you have children, you understand that because there are many times where your children tune you out. Sometimes accidentally and sometimes purposely, right? Where, where sometimes it's the old, uh, you know, put the fingers in the ear and hum really loud and pretend they can't hear you type thing, right? And you see them doing that to each other if they have siblings or tuning you out or, or they'll be playing video games and they'll purposely not be listening to you or they'll nod their head and go, yeah, mom, yeah, dad, and then they don't do anything even though you know they heard you, right? Or for older children, it's, it's they take the earbuds and put the earbuds back in their ear and turn the music up as loud as they can. For some of you who have hearing aids, you understand this too. Because when you don't want to listen to other people, instead of turning it up, you turn it all the way down or off. So you can't hear what anyone has to say. And there are ways in which we do that with the Word of God. Like we don't like what it has to say. 
We like what the world has to say. We like the values of the culture. We like, like what it has in, in, to offer to us. And we say, you know what? Because of what the world offers us, because of the world, the world has to say, you know, that's a much more progressive way. Uh, that's, a, that's a way that the world is moving. So, so maybe we should move along with it. And so instead of compromising the things of the world, we compromise the things of God. And we turn a deaf ear, dull hearing to what God has to say. Sometimes we do this accidentally. We just do it accidentally because uh, we just stop listening. We get too busy, too preoccupied. Our schedule is too noisy and then things going on around us are, are way too busy. And our schedules run us so much uh, that we say things like this, you know what, I, I, can't, I just can't make it to worship this weekend, maybe next weekend. Or I can't, I, I can't do this Bible study or I can't do this small group, maybe the next one. You ever said that before? Maybe the next time? Do you know what that means when you say maybe next time? It usually means never, right? Because you're like, you know what? I'm going to start that diet next week. Or I'm going to start working out next month. And then next month, you say next month, and next month, and next month, right? That's what happens with our New Year's resolutions. We keep pushing them back. And we start to accidentally turn a dull ear and a blind eye to what God is teaching and what God is showing us in the midst of our life. And the writer here is warning, he's saying, saying don't turn a deaf ear. Don't, have, don't be dull of hearing when it comes to the things of God. And here's why, this is why this is so significant. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is but a child. He's saying, well, what are you right now? Are you a teacher or are you a student? Are you mature or are you immature? This would be like saying to a student, hey, I know you're in algebra, but you still don't get addition, so you need to go back to the first and second graders. I mean, that's what he's saying. He's saying, you should be past addition. You should be in algebra, but you have to go back. You should be past the bottle. You should be past the formula. You should be past the baby food. You should be on to pizza and steak and potatoes and salad and all of that good stuff. Instead, you need to go back to the baby food because you haven't had a maturity that's come about by being, as he would say, skilled in handling the Word of God. In fact, that's what he says. He says, the reason that you need milk is because you are unskilled in the word of righteousness. You are unskilled in the word of God and in what it is teaching to you and to me. He's saying we shouldn't have to be reminded of it. We, we should have it reinforced, but not be reminded of those things which are essential and foundational that should be just part of who we are. And we're going to see some of those teachings in a moment. But then the writer of Hebrews comes to what I believe is the linchpin verse for what he is speaking about in this section and a very significant verse for us as disciples of Jesus Christ. It's verse 14. It says this. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Do you see how it says you become mature? Like, yeah, it's by eating solid food, uh, but in what way or, or how are they eating that solid food? How are they becoming mature in their faith? They're becoming mature by constant, what is it? Constant practice. Constant practice. This past summer, 
Uh, my, three of my daughters, uh, Melissa, Jessica, and Rebecca, decided that they wanted to join for the school the 10,000 Shot Club. And so all summer they were gonna shoot baskets so that they could join the 10,000 Shot Club and get a, a, a special shirt and wear that shirt and be celebrated for that. And, and so they got the spreadsheets and, and we came up with a game plan on how to do this, shoot 250 shots every single day, both layups and free throws and jump shots and all sorts of things. And, and for the first 30 days, they were excited and they went out and they shot shots like crazy. And 30 days in, they realized that they only had like 3,000 shots and they needed 7,000 more. And so all of a sudden it went from my children being motivated to do this to be being motivated to get them out of the house, right? Like go out and shoot your shots and they're like, dad, but we don't want to, maybe tomorrow. And I'm like, no, not tomorrow, today, go, right? And they finished it, but they kept shooting constant practice 10,000 shots. But one of the things that I noticed as they were shooting shots was this. You know, we, live, we used to live by this old adage of practice makes perfect. It really doesn't though, does it? Right? Because I noticed that if my children shot 10,000 shots the wrong way, when they shoot a basket in a basketball game, guess what they're going to do? They're going to shoot it the wrong way, aren't they? Because practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes permanent. It makes it permanent. They're gonna do what they've always been practiced at doing. And what God is reminding us here is that, that we need to be constantly practicing, but we need to be practicing in the right way. We need our powers of discernment practiced in the right way because whatever we are practicing is going to become permanent and not just here in God's house. Like this is easier, right? Like, like we have the word of God in, in front of us and we talk about it, we sit next to people who have the same values as us, and it's easy to be able to practice and have discernment here. The harder aspect is showing up at the cubicle on Monday morning or Thursday after, afternoon or Thursday evening in the stands at your daughter's basketball game or Saturday mornings when the children are running around the house and aren't listening. That's when this gets harder, isn't it? That's when these powers of discernment that have been trained by constant practice are so essential. Not Sunday mornings, but Wednesday afternoons and Thursday evenings and Saturdays with the family. That's when we need to understand who are we learning from and how are we learning and are we doing it in the right places at the right times in the right ways so our powers of discernment can be trained permanently in the right way. In fact, what I believe that the writer of Hebrews would ask you and me is this, is, is, is what are you well-practiced in? What are your children well-practiced in? What are your children best at handling? Are they best at handling a basketball or a soccer ball? Are they best at handling a violin or a piano? Are they best at handling math or history or social studies? Are they best at handling a video game controller? Are they best at handling the ability to memorize Fortnite dances, which I see constantly all over the place? Are they best at handling their Instagram account and their Snapchat account and making sure their streaks stay alive? Are they best at handling their friendships and relationships or are they best at handling what is most essential for them? And that's the Word of God in the midst of the challenges and the struggles and the difficulties of life. What are they learning from? Where are your children learning? What are they best at handling in their life? I love this quote by Luther. Luther says this. He says, this life, therefore, 
is not righteousness, but about growth in righteousness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. He's saying you are not yet what you should be. And so we need to be well-practiced in the Word of God because we live in a world in which we need to be ingrained in the Word of God. We need to be constantly practicing these things, constantly having our, our powers of discernment trained by understanding and handling the Word of God so that we can discern good from evil in the midst of a 21st century culture that continues to try to say that right is wrong and wrong is right. In fact, that's why the reiterator of Hebrews says, well, let's keep going, therefore. Let's move past these elementary teachings of Christ and of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and instructions about washing, laying out of hands and resurrection of the dead. And, and you're reading that going, going, we should move past those? Aren't those foundational? That's what he's saying. He's saying, yes. He's saying, these are foundational, but you shouldn't have to be reminded of them, just reiterated about them. He, it would be like saying, you know what? In algebra, you shouldn't have to reteach Addition, it should just be assumed that algebra students can do addition because it's part of who they are. So that they can move past that to algebra and trigonometry and calculus and so on and so forth. And so it is that we should have these things of the Word of God so ingrained in us that we are able to start using them with the power of discernment to discern right from wrong to be moving on from just, not just why we, or what we believe, but why we believe it, and how it matters for you and me. And some of you might say, yes, but, but isn't all we need just Jesus, Pastor? Like, like isn't that all we need? Like, just, just as long as I have Jesus, that's all that's necessary? Well, if you went straight from the baptismal font to heaven, yes. That's all you would need is Jesus. But we don't go straight from the baptismal font to heaven. We live in a world filled with questions and moral quandaries and moral choices, in a world filled with persecution and challenges and struggles and, and a world which continually asks why we believe what we believe and tells us that what we believe is not in line with mainstream values of today and we need to change to be in line with what the world says. And if we're going to answer those questions, then we need something deeper. We need a maturity of the faith to handle the Word of God, to discern right from wrong. What you and I, we need to be saying is, is God, I'm hungry. Feed me. Feed me with your Word. Feed me with your understanding. Grant to me a greater maturity so I can withstand the greater challenges that are coming against me in this world in which I live today. So this past week was uh, National Lutheran Schools Week. And I have noticed that uh, school has changed in some ways. You notice that? School's changed a little bit, right? Like, gone are the days of uh, carrying around all of your textbooks and uh, lugging them back and forth from home to school. And now you don't carry around textbooks, but Chromebooks. And you don't carry around uh, things but iPads and electronics so you can carry them back and forth. And, and 21st century education is more wrapped around ideas of collaboration and critical thinking and communication and creativity. It's wrapping our students uh, around the concept that, that most of the jobs that your children and grandchildren will have who are in school right now, most of their jobs haven't even been created yet. Could you imagine a world like that? 
where most of the jobs they will go into might not have been created yet. And so we have to train and, and develop students who are ready for jobs and challenges that are not there. Do you know what? That's exactly what maturity in God's word does for us. It trains us and develops in us powers of discernment for challenges that we don't even know that we will have yet, but are coming forward. I mean, think, think about this. How many of you in college could imagine when you were in college, the challenges and the questions and the persecution that college students of today would face about what the definition of marriage is, about what is the definition of life and when does life begin, about, about the questions about the definition of humanity and, and what does it mean to be male and female. How many of us would have imagined we live in a world that has those type of questions when we were in college? And yet, we know that they're facing those challenges and students who are in grade school today are facing challenges or will be facing challenges maybe we haven't even imagined yet. And they need to be ingrained with the Word of God as foundational and handle this best so that when their, their faith is attacked, when their marriage is attacked, when their life is attacked, when their values are attacked, they have a firm foundation. They need to be taken from milk to solid food so that they might have a depth in the Word of God. And so do you, and so do I. In fact, this is what our school ministry is all about. Here at Grace, we have a wonderful Lutheran school ministry. And what makes it a ministry, though, is not that our teachers prepare 21st century students, although they do. We have outstanding, excellent teachers who continue to learn and grow and they take on the posture of a learner so that they can educate our students in a wonderful 21st century educational uh, way so that they can grow into jobs they don't even know and they create those 21st century students. But that's not what makes this a ministry because there are other schools that do that as well. What makes this a ministry is we create 21st century disciples in our school. We equip our students with not just what do you believe, but why do you believe it and how does it matter? We equip them in a community with a biblical worldview that develops a maturity in the faith and feeds them with the word of God so that they are able to answer the questions that the world is levying against them even today. That's why it's so important. And this is why our student ministry, of which many of your children just went up to this morning and Jam and Thrive is so important because we seek to do the same thing on Sunday mornings to equip them with the answers to the questions this world is levying against us. And it's what we do in Ignite on Sunday night in our youth ministry. We equip them with questions to the an or answers to the questions this world is levying against them. Now, this is why our Lutheran high schools are so important. Living Word Lutheran High School and Milwaukee Lutheran High School and Martin Luther High School and Lake Country Lutheran High Schools and, and other Lutheran high schools throughout our state and our country. Now, that's why our Concordias are so important. Concordia Mequon and Concordia River Forest. And, and I have to say it for Christine's sake, Concordia Nebraska, even there. You can tell her I said that later. That's why our seminaries are so important. Concordia Seminary in St. Louis and Fort Wayne. We need these schools that are training up our youth and our children to know the Word of God so much that their, their powers of discernment are changed so that they have a greater maturity to withstand greater challenges. And you and I, we get to be a part of this. Whether you still have children in our school here at Grace or not, you're a part of this. 
Your generosity makes this happen. Your time, your energy, your efforts, your volunteering makes this happen. This is why you're a part of our student ministry and our Ignite youth ministry. Even if you don't have children who go to that, your generosity makes our Sunday morning and Sunday evening children's and youth ministry happen so that we can continue to train our children in their powers of discernment to understand right from wrong. And this is why it is so important for us to be in Bible study, to be in the Word of God. This is why it is so important for you and I to take the posture of a learner and to discern teachable God moments. You ever had a teachable moment? When I was in Florida uh, with my son, uh, our pool was really hot. It was really nice. So I'm sorry. I kind of bragging right now. So, so we had a really nice hot pool that we were able to swim in. And as we were doing that, I had my glasses on one time and, and they were fogging up because of the heat coming off of uh, the pool. And so my son came up to me and goes, goes uh, Dad, why are your glasses all foggy? And I said, this is a perfect teachable moment. So we spent 25 minutes, I'm sure he loved it, but we spent 25 minutes having a science class right there in Florida as I talked about steam and, and hot temperature and cold temperature and how it, you know, and, and coming on your glass and so like just all these different aspects of steam. And so we had a 25 minute teachable moment. And as I was thinking there and sitting there, I go, I go am, am I as attuned to teachable God moments as I am teachable science moments to help my child to be raised to discern right from wrong? Am I aware of teachable God moments in my own life where God is seeking to talk and speak into my life, to break into my life and to teach me, to say, I am seeking to train you? That there are questions, there are challenges, there are things that are going on in our world today in a 21st century culture where God is giving us teachable moments to prepare us to train our powers of discernment so that we can distinguish right from wrong. Be hungry. Cry out to God, God, I am hungry. Feed me with your word so that my powers of discernment may be trained so that I may know right from wrong and I may be able to withstand and I may help my children and my grandchildren and the children of our congregation that I can help them to have their powers of discernment trained so that together we might be able to discern right from wrong. And as the writer of Hebrews says at the very end of this section, if God permits this, this we will do together. In Jesus' name, amen.